0: Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, our study this morning is in chapter 6, one of the great, great sections of Scripture, Romans 5 to 8. If you haven't studied it recently, I encourage you to spend some time over the next three or four weeks and really dive into it. Great apologetic on Scripture and on the Gospel and what God has done for us. But our study is in Romans chapter 6. As Randy mentioned, as the video showed, this weekend is not just a three-day weekend where we get to cook out. It is a time to set aside to remember the sacrifice of uh, the men and women, the veterans who have kept our country free. And again, I want to thank you uh, veterans and people who have served for your um, sacrifice and for your time in the military. And we know some of you have loved ones overseas and we need to keep praying for them. Uh, the, The right to be free has come at a great price in the last 248 years. Keeping this nation secure, keeping our independence, keeping our freedom has caused a lot of bloodshed. And there have been many sacrifices, not only in people who have died, but people who have been wounded and, and maimed because of the war. Just for perspective, and we have a slide on this this morning, if the guys could put it up. Here are the statistics for the top five, top seven Fatality totals, I didn't know how to describe this. The highest fatality totals of all the wars that we fought as a country, these are the top seven. World War II, 290,000 plus. The Civil War, 212,000. World War I, 53. Vietnam, 47,000. Korean War, 33,000. The War on Terror from 9-11 on, and all the countries we've been in, close to 10,000. And the Revolutionary War, 8,000. Now, the the total of that, those are just deaths in active combat. And that's just seven wars. But combined, all seven of those wars that we just looked at in our country's history are 656,722 soldiers who have given their lives for this country, just in those seven wars. And they did that for the purpose of making sure that our liberty doesn't get taken away. Now, it's still easy, even on Memorial Day, even when we see veterans stand and we watch a video like that, it's easy to take that for granted because many of us haven't fought in that kind of situation. Many of us don't know that life. And we've never lived in a country like North Korea or Syria or Saudi Arabia or other countries where there's so much repression of citizens. And we don't know what it's like to to live under that kind of oppression. We came this morning, we got up, we grabbed one of the Bibles off our shelf, we got in our car, we drove without any restraints, there were no police blockades, we came to this building, it was open, it's beautiful, we're able to sit with our Bibles in our laps and open it and worship the Lord freely and sing the name of Jesus. But imagine this morning if we couldn't do any of that. Imagine if we couldn't gather together to worship, let alone hold a Bible, let alone own a Bible, for fear that if we did, that we would be hunted down and killed. We get bothered sometimes when the music's too loud or the room is too warm or we had to park on the street instead of the lot or whatever the case may be. But but what if there was no freedom? Now, some of you have visited a country like that and you've felt what it's like for a short time, but I would say the vast majority of us only know what it's like to be able to be open to live as a Christian. We don't know any other way. And that same understanding really applies to our experience as believers because many of us have experienced different things spiritually. I've been saved most of my life. I can't really remember a time when I wasn't saved. I got saved when I was nine. I'm a PK. I grew up in church all my life. I've never really known any kind of difference. And if you grew up in church... And you know, church, you naturally tend to view God's grace less viscerally. It, it, it doesn't quite maybe have the same impact because we don't feel how lost we really were. Maybe we've gotten a greater perception as we've gotten more mature. But, but we never had that state where we were so far away, or at least I haven't, where I was so far away from God that, that he felt like he couldn't be reached. Some of you have felt that. Some of you were not saved early in life. Maybe you got saved in the last five or ten years and you hit that low point. You know what it's like to really be away from God and to really be in the pit. And and maybe now you have, uh, not that we're comparing, but kind of a greater level of understanding of God's grace because you hit that deep point of depravity. So there's a difference in our understanding. Now, As believers, we've all experienced God's grace, and we're glad for that, right? I'm glad for God's grace this morning. Without it, I would be nothing. And we know that those 656,000 men and women who gave their lives to their country did it to secure freedom, at least for the time being, because it's wavered back and forth. But we also know as believers that the death and resurrection of one, Jesus Christ, has secured freedom forever. There's no doubt, there's no question, there's no equivocation, it's not going to go back and forth, it's not still up for grabs. What Jesus did, did secured salvation forever. It is an amazing truth. And yet somehow we still have many times where we take our spiritual freedom for granted. Just like we do our national freedom. Even though our lives would be completely different without Christ, even though we would have no fulfillment without Christ, we'd have no hope, we'd have nothing to look forward to. And yet somehow we take the grace of God and the freedom that He's provided for granted. Now, Paul here in Romans chapter 6 wants us to have a greater understanding and appreciation of what Christ has done to free us from sin. Not only because we easily forget, but because remembering this significantly alters how we live, both kind of in our attitude and in our actions, the human heart gets very convoluted. It gets very confused so easily, especially when it comes to this. And here's how we know that statement is true, that our hearts, even redeemed hearts, can still get confused and convoluted. It's because our tendency, even though it is highly counterproductive, our tendency as humans is to use our freedom to slip back into bondage. Now that doesn't make sense, and yet we're going to see this morning why that's true. And it's true practically, and it's true spiritually. So let's give an example of each. We are seen, the United States as one of the most free countries on the face of the earth. Almost every nation envies us, and I don't say that arrogantly, but you hear people from other countries say, oh, in America you have it so well and they envy they want to come here they want to enjoy the freedoms that we're here and the rights we give to our citizens as well as the absolute abundance of everything if you go to eastern europe or you go uh, to some countries in south america and you uh, walk into a grocery store you don't see what we see if we run to pick and save the shelves at our grocery store are lined with countless varieties of every item and yet if you go to a to a market in jerusalem Uh, You don't see any of that. You see dead animals hanging uh, with the stench and the flies in the marketplace. And that's your meat for the meal. I know you just lost your appetite, right? Nobody's now going to lunch. Or I'll eat pasta for lunch because I don't want meat now. That's what it is. That's what it's like. There's not the abundance. So people look at our country and they say, what a wonderful place. You have freedom. And yet every day, and I'm not being political when I say this, Every day, we surrender more of those rights voluntarily. Not only are most people okay with the government taking away more and more of our personal and spiritual liberties, they're actually arguing for it and voting for it. So we as a free nation take our liberty for granted and say it needs to be taken away. And that scene is progressive. We choose to be restricted because it's convenient and it's easy. Now the same principle applies... Spiritually, because we have trusted Christ to save us and transform us, we have been freed from sin. We have been freed from the penalty of death for all eternity. We've been liberated from the curse we were under. We have been secured forever. And yet, every time we run back to sin, we voluntarily and willfully choose to go back into the same bondage that sin held us under. And we do that because we're inherently selfish and because we think our liberty gives us license and because it's fun and easy and we don't understand the cost that Christ has paid. We sing on the old rugged cross and we get teary at Good Friday and we think it's wonderful what God has done. But think about our everyday life. How are we really impacted every day by the shadow of the cross? How are we impacted by what Christ has done? We appreciate it. We know grace. But we don't really understand to the depth that God wants us to, myself included, how much of a sacrifice Christ made for us. How amazing it is that God would condescend and He would come down and live on us and take on flesh as God, take on our flesh, take on humanity, and go to the cross and die for us who had no appreciation, no guilt, no shame, no sense of sorrow, no crying out for God to say, please save us. We were just into ourselves, and God said, I'm still going to come. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And he not only reminds us and warns us to be careful in how we live, but he also shows us, and this is the positive this morning, the tremendous benefits of our freedom in Christ. Now, let's take apart the text so we can really understand it. And then we'll draw some application to our lives. Notice, first of all, in verses 16 to 18, that we're called slaves four times. This is written to believers, and this is a designation that is intentional by the Holy Spirit. It's not speculative. It's not optional. It's a fact. It says we are all slaves. We are all under the control of some master. Whether we like it or not, whether we think we're choosing it or not, we are all slaves under some master. And that wasn't forced on us. It's a choice that we make based on our convictions and based on our desires. Because he says in verse 16, look at it, that we present ourselves as slaves for obedience. Now that means whoever we chose to obey, whatever we choose to obey, wherever we place our priorities, we are slaves to that. Either we're slaves to sin or we're slaves to righteousness. If you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, if you've never put your confidence in him or you refuse to do that, whether your choice is that or you've just kind of been indifferent, you are a slave to sin. It's not a criticism, it's a fact. I was a slave to sin at one point in my life. Before I trusted in Christ, I was a slave to sin. It's the natural condition of our hearts and we're obedient to it and we're glad to do so. When we trust Christ, He transforms our heart and minds. We're cleansed from all unrighteousness. We're cleansed from the presence and the power of sin. And that becomes the supernatural condition of our heart. Whereas the natural condition is to be inclined to sin, the supernatural condition is to be inclined to righteousness, which is why the Holy Spirit indwells us, fills us, teaches us, guides us, and changes our desire from disobedient to obedient, from sin to righteousness. Now, the next thing we see in verse 19 is that he says, we also choose to put ourselves under the control of one of these two spiritual paths. We either are under the control of impurity and lawlessness, or we are under the control of righteousness and sanctification. What's the difference? Well, it's obvious, but let's define it. Impurity is anything that's not holy. Impurity is anything that is displeasing to God. But lawlessness actually gets a little bit more personal. It doesn't just mean disobeying what's morally incorrect. It also has a very deep connotation of living for ourselves. It puts us in opposition to the Word of God. Now, we can live in such a way that we consistently present our bodies to sin and self. And that is our natural inclination because our flesh is weak and we're self-centered. And if our minds aren't fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit, the carnality of our mind controls what we're inclined to do in terms of sin will dominate our choices. Now, remember, this is written to believers. This is not to a person that's never trusted Christ while your mind is filled with impurity and you're subject to sin. You're under control of sin. This is talking to believers saying, we need to understand exactly what's happened to us because this is who we used to be. Now, because we've trusted Christ, we are now freed from sin and our nature has been changed and we're a new creation. So what's our calling? Look back at verse 19. He says, now we are called to willingly and intentionally present ourselves as slaves to righteousness. The end result of that is sanctification. It's a great word. It means purification and consecration. In other words, God makes us pure, and then we fully commit ourselves to live in purity. Verse 20 says that when we were in sin, we weren't responsible to righteousness because we didn't understand it. Our mind wasn't in the right place. We weren't dedicated. We weren't committed to our conviction because our conviction was wrong. So he says, really, the implication is true. If we didn't understand righteousness when we weren't in righteousness, now that we are in righteousness, we're responsible for it. We can't say, well, God saved me and it's wonderful and I'm redeemed and I'm going to heaven. Praise the Lord, it's awesome. I'm so glad that I'm redeemed. Now I get to live like I want. Because we're saved, because we're redeemed, because we're made servants and slaves to righteousness, Because God has transformed us and made us righteous beings. He now says, live in this. And because we do that, he says third, this is down in verse 22, there are great benefits from being freed from sin. Now we know the obvious one. Sin no longer enslaves us. What an awesome truth. Sin no longer enslaves us. In its place... We're enslaved to God. Now stop there for a minute, because I as I was studying, it, it, it hit me, that sentence. We kind of say it, we read it, we go on. But stop for a minute. What does it mean to be a slave to God? It seems like a strange designation. And if we don't understand this, and we don't explain this well, it will turn people off who are saying, well, I'm interested in why you're different. I'm interested in Christianity. and know a little bit about Jesus. I want to understand what the Bible's about. But this concept of being a slave to God, I I don't know about that. That, that turns me off a little bit. We know God doesn't treat us that way, right? God doesn't treat you and me as slaves this morning. How are slaves treated? They're treated without any rights. They're beaten. They're, they're, they're not uh, given any latitude. Uh, They serve uh, somebody else at their discretion and anything can be done to them. That's not how God treats us. God loves us. He calls us his children, and he shows us fresh mercy and grace every day. And he provides for us, and he fills us with his spirit, and he secures us, and leads us, and cares for us. And he never takes his eyes off us. That's not how you describe a slave. That's how you describe a child. And yet, the fact is still true because it says it right here in Scripture: "We're enslaved to him. We're bought with the price of Christ's blood." and we're redeemed from sin. So how do we understand this? How does that not, in a sense, let's talk very openly this morning, how does that not turn us off? Well, I love being saved, and I love the redemption of Christ, but you're telling me now I'm a slave to God? I I don't think that that really works for me. Well, the first concept to remember is we're a slave to somebody, just a matter of whom. We're either a slave to the devil who lies and tells us, you don't serve me. You serve yourself. You're a wonderful God. Do your own thing. Be your own man or woman. Just just live however you want. There are really no consequences. And, and listen, God wants you to be a slave. I'm not saying you're going to be a slave to me. I'm saying you've got all the freedom you want. Well, remember, the devil's a liar. and He's controlling us and dictating what we're doing. Because he wants to separate us from God and he wants to make us miserable. So we can serve him or we can serve the Lord who is truth and calls us to live a life that's designed how he created. So slaves, yeah, we're slave to somebody. The next concept is we're all under the curse of sin from the outset of our lives. Look at the last verse of the chapter. This is one of those that we pull out and quote. The kids know this one. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We know Romans 6.23, but we need to make sure we look at the verse before. This is why context is always key when you study. But here's the fact, verse 23. The wages of sin, the paycheck of sin, what we deserve for our work. This is why work salvation will never get you to heaven. Because the payment for our works is death. Not a very good job, is it? If I work, I want to get paid. But all our works as human beings, the payment, the paycheck, the wages that we earn is death because of sin. And yet, look at the second part of it. The gift of God is eternal life. Here's the problem. We are in slavery. There is no out. All men are condemned. All men are eternally under a death sentence. There's no way out. There's no way to earn it. There's no pardon. There's nothing on our own. And we are destined for hell. And it's not going to be a pretty death. You know, there's so much debate right now of, Uh, Executions and are they they cruel and unusual punishment for somebody that's murdered somebody else? We want to make sure they don't suffer when the injection goes in, even though they they cut somebody's throat. Well, the death sentence that we're under as human beings, this is graphic, but it's right, is, is awful and miserable. We all deserve hell. So the wages of what we've done, the consequences of our sin is death, It is hell. We have no hope. But look at the good news that God shows us first in the verse before in verse 22. He tells us that when we trust, we can be redeemed and there's benefit to that. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no other hope of salvation this morning. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, stop looking anywhere else. There is no other hope of salvation apart from Jesus Christ you will spend your whole life looking, whole life trying, whole life doing good works, whole life saying prayers and doing good deeds and all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, the paycheck for that is death because of sin. But Christ redeems. And because Christ redeems, verse 22, there is a benefit that's derived. The word is interesting there. It's the word fruit. So let's read it again. Now having been freed from sin... And enslaved to God, you derive your fruit, resulting in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. Now, fruit's an interesting concept, because every time we see fruit in Scripture, it's an outward word. You live by the Spirit, and you produce the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is always an expression of what's going on internally. But here, Paul says, we are the ones that receive the fruit from God. You derive the benefit. You derive the fruit. Because of what Christ has done, because of His redemption, because of your trust in Him, God gives you fruit. Look at what it is. It's sanctification and eternal life. In other words, God purifies, cleanses, and makes you a different person and secures you for all eternal life. And because you and I get that fruit from God, He now says, now produce spiritual fruit in your own life. Now, there are other passages of Scripture that detail some of these benefits uh, associated with the freedom God's given us. So, I want to encourage you for the next couple minutes, write some things down, write some passages down, write some thoughts down, because these will encourage you this week. We all need some encouragement this morning, right? These will encourage you this week. These will help us this week. Because God's not indifferent to our needs. He loves us. He gave Christ to redeem us. And salvation gave us more than we could possibly ask or think. But His mercy is so wide that He says, not only will I save you, but I will add fruit. I will add benefit to your life. So let's highlight, just for the next couple minutes, and then we'll pray, three results of our spiritual freedom. Three results, three fruits of our spiritual freedom that God has secured for us through Christ. And the reason I'm encouraging you to write these down is you need to put these where you will see them throughout the week because they will help you and I assess or am I walking as a slave to righteousness or have I stepped back into my old slavery, into the jail cell of sin and self and impurity and lawlessness. These are evaluation points because very clearly God says if you're walking in my freedom, if you're living in my freedom, there will be benefits. Benefit number one, freedom produces joy. Freedom produces joy. Listen to some of the verses from throughout the Bible and see if you hear a theme. Psalm 95.1, Shout with joy to the God of our salvation. Isaiah 35.10, The ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy upon their heads. They'll find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him and believe in him. And you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls and Jude 124 now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy the only god our savior through Jesus Christ our lord did you catch it every time the writers talk about salvation and god's provision the direct result of that is joy. And not just happiness, not just that's great, I feel better. He is talking here about unbridled, expressive joy. Listen now, this is hard for us who are reserved to the point of shouting. Joy that makes us shout. When was the last time you shouted about your salvation? When was the last time you went a little bit crazy where people kind of went, I'm not sure about that person? Because you were so excited about the Lord. You were so full of joy. You were so full of passion. You were so full of gratitude. You were so humbled that you started to weep and say, praise the Lord, God, you are so good. Thank you for my salvation. Oh, praise the Lord. When was the last time we did that? like, what's well, not who I am, Paul? I'm a very quiet person. Yeah, me too, believe it or not. Well, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of introverted. Me too, believe it or not. And yet, it doesn't say, well, shout for joy unless you're an introvert. Shout for joy unless it's kind of uncomfortable. Shout for joy unless people are going to look at you and go, what is wrong with that person? That, there, there are no qualifications here. You've been saved? Shout for joy. You've been saved, declare it with joy, inexpressible. Oh, the Lord is good. We need to praise Him more. We need to stop sitting on our hands and saying, well, it's good, the songs are nice, and I'm going to praise God, and it's wonderful, but it's only what I'm comfortable with. Listen, I'm not picking here this morning. It took me a long time as a believer to get to this place where we say, shout for joy with a voice of triumph. Praise Him because He's so good. What has He done? He secured Our salvation and that joy over that should not be contained, not one bit. How many of you remember the 80s? Raise your hand. Yeah, we do. They were awesome. Great decade. Great music, great hair, great clothes. You know what was great about the 80s? The atmosphere of our nation. You remember it? It's a long time ago. It was positive and it was hopeful and it was optimistic. Now, 30 years later, compare that to our culture now. And despite how hard the media is trying to say, oh, everything's good, the whole atmosphere of our nation is not positive. There's very little hope Pessimism is kind of the attitude of the day. Now what's the difference? Why in 30 years have we gone from positive and strong and patriotic and everything's great and we're doing good and it's hopeful and it's optimistic to this, to this malaise, this lethargy, this sense of, of kind of depression like it's not getting better? What's the difference? One is leadership. It's the difference between a strong, assertive leader who knew his convictions and stood by them who confronted and challenged evil instead of just talking about it. Who created national pride instead of diminishing it. Another is economic prosperity and investment versus weakness and debt. We cannot avoid the moral distinction. Strong biblical values, even a biblical influence versus now the ridicule of Christianity and anything goes and the mentality that we can just be depraved and be open about it and it doesn't matter. In fact, let's make it law. And politically, freedom advanced in the 80s. Remember this? A long time ago, the Soviet Union broke apart and the Balkans became free and South Africa became free but now there's more repression than ever. Now, which one is going to produce joy? Freedom always produces joy. First Peter says that because we believe in Him, in other words, because we trust in Him and have experienced the the freedom produced by salvation, we greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. In other words, freedom always brings joy. That's why if our country continues on the same track, there will not be joy in our nation because increasingly, increasingly freedom is being lost. When you live, when I live in the freedom of Christ, here's what it produces. It produces joy that cannot even be explained or expressed. It produces joy that is outward. It produces joy that is overwhelming. It produces joy that makes us shout. Why? Because Christ has obtained the salvation of our souls. If there's no joy in your life, if there's little joy in your life, you cannot really be living in the gift of His freedom. Either sin still controls you, or you haven't let it go Because overwhelming joy is the undeniable result of being forgiven and redeemed by Christ. Second, freedom produces peace and contentment. How much are peace and contentment in your daily life? How much are peace and contentment in your daily life? And what does it say if they're lacking, or we're looking for other outlets, or we're looking for other vices to try to produce those feelings. One of the things we need freedom from is freedom from ourselves. That's not some kind of psychobabble. You need freedom from yourself. You need a vacation from yourself. Actually, I do. A couple of days I need a vacation from myself. This is not psychobabble. This is Scripture. We need freedom from ourselves. What does that mean? It means we need freedom from our desires. We need freedom from our control. We need freedom from material possessions. We need freedom from our demands for the timing to be what we want and for our rights to be established and for our comfort. So much of our life is lived trying to obtain all these things, but those efforts are seriously misguided. This week, look at Hebrews chapter 13. Let me just read it. Don't turn. But let me tell you what Hebrews 13 says. It says, let your conduct be without coveting. Not, not don't covet the neighbor's lawn because it looks nicer. He says, let your actions be without coveting. Next line, be content with such things as you have. For God himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? you catch the key to the verses, it was right in the middle. God himself has said to us as believers, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You keep pursuing peace through possessions. You keep pursuing peace through your control. You keep trying to be content by doing it your own way. You're going to flop. It's going to fail. You want to know how to have peace and contentment? It's in the presence of our Savior and Lord. You want to feel confident this week? You want to feel secure? You want to know God has a future for me? Then spend time in the presence of the Lord because He provides more than we ever will need and He guards us and helps us and protects us. I see so many people pursuing a new car, or a new job or a new relationship and it's flashy for a while, and it seems fun, and everything's good, and I've never been happier. I don't know how many people I've had sit in my office in 27 years say, I'm in sin and I've never been happier. And I say, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. It's not going to last. The only secret to peace and contentment is living in the presence of God. And the devil will constantly push and say, if you will just be for yourself, You will have all the peace you want. And again, he's a liar because the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. If we try to do it our way, we will fail. That's why we're commanded to deny ourselves daily. Because if we don't, we will not have peace. We will not have contentment. Look at one more. Freedom produces liberty. Freedom produces Liberty. First, it produces joy. Then it produces peace and contentment. And third, it produces liberty. Now you say, well, that's kind of redundant. You just changed the word. Freedom produces liberty. That What are you talking about? Well, it's easy to misinterpret. I want you to listen well now. It's easy to interpret what the Lord intended by giving us liberty. What did the Lord intend by giving us liberty? Paul talks about it in Galatians 1. Another text you can been studying this week. Hebrews 13 and Galatians 1. Let me read very slowly, very carefully what Galatians 1 says. Listen now. He says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and don't be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Sounds a lot like Romans 6, doesn't it? For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to each other, so that you may not do the things that you please. Now what's the bottom line? God hasn't freed us from the control and the penalty and inclination of sin so we can turn around and do whatever we want. He has freed us from the control, penalty, and inclination to sin so we don't have to do what we're inclined to do. We are no longer a slave to sin. One of the constant debates in Christianity is how we get to use our liberty. Can we do this? Can we do that? Is that permissible? What if nobody sees me? What if I only take it to a certain extent? And we're constantly trying to nuance. How can I look like the world and still call myself a Christian because I want to use my liberty? And we throw around the conversation about not being a stumbling block, but often we don't really take that seriously because we want our liberty. We want to do whatever we want. But we need to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying here. We're done with this. The Holy Spirit says to us, your flesh is fighting me and it's opposing me. Your flesh is trying to prevent you from living for me. And if you continue to do what you want in the name of liberty, you and I will be in opposition. Now let me tell you, believer, that's not why your Savior died for you. He didn't die so that you can go back to being a slave to sin because you're free from sin and you can get away with it because you know I've forgiven you forever. He says Christ died So you don't have to follow those inclinations anymore. And I have given you freedom from it. I have transformed your heart and mind. I have renewed you and regenerated you and given you a rebirth. So you are not a slave to that anymore. You are now a servant of God. You see, freedom produces liberty, but we're talking about the wrong kind of liberty. It's not the liberty to go back to self Peter says, act as free men. Don't use your freedom as a right to go back to evil. Use your freedom as a right to be a bond slave to God. Christian, we got to get this right. We've got to get this right because there's so much, I want latitude, I want to do this, I want to be like the world, but I still want to say, oh, I love Jesus Christ. And the two aren't compatible because the Spirit says, that's opposition to me. You're fighting me. This is not what I called you to live. See, I want to give you benefits. I want to give you fruit. You've trusted in me. Here's what that freedom's going to provide. It's going to bring you joy you can't imagine. It's going to bring you peace and contentment that you've never experienced before. And it's going to give you liberty. Liberty not to sin. Liberty to not sin. The freedom and the power to not be subject to to it anymore, to be sanctified, to be purified, to be consecrated. And when you live as a slave to righteousness, it will produce things in your life that will be overwhelming. We're done. Do you have those things this morning? Joy and peace and contentment and liberty to bring God glory. Are you and I living in the benefits of his freedom or are we still fighting for the bondage of the past? See, he wants to free us, but we have to choose righteousness. Let's close our eyes. I'm sure I haven't explained this well this morning, so I hope the Holy Spirit has really spoken but I want to take just a minute for you to, to digest this and for me to digest it. What is God calling us to do? What, how is God calling us to live? If we're slaves to righteousness, then everything about us should exude righteousness. If God has given us the benefit of joy and peace and contentment and liberty, then everything about us should exude joy and peace and contentment and liberty. So if that's not present in our lives this morning, we have to evaluate, where am I with the Lord? Am I walking in this freedom? Am I walking in righteousness? And if not, if there's something that's preventing that, right now you and the Lord need to deal with that. David said, search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me because that is going to block us walking in righteousness. So I'm not going to ask to raise hands or come forward. Just between you and the Lord right now. Are you walking in righteousness? And if not, get that clean right now. Father, it's hard for us to understand the depth of Christ's sacrifice. It's hard for us to understand the wideness of your mercy and the level of freedom that you have produced that we don't deserve and never could have obtained on our own. We give you all praise and all honor this morning that You have done this, that You have offered this, that when we confess our sins, You're faithful and just to forgive all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and declare us a new creation and fill our hearts and minds with righteousness and secure us with Your Spirit. Lord, You've done all of that. And we confess taking it for granted. We confess wandering back into the slavery that we used to be under. We want to be servants of righteousness. Slaves to you, Lord. Because in that slavery, you give us tremendous freedom. You treat us as children. And you show your love and your mercy for us every day. Lord, help us this week. We're all struggling in some area spiritually. We're all wrestling with some sin that's trying to have dominance over us. We struggle to have joy. We don't always feel peace and content. But Lord, that's the fruit of righteousness. That's the fruit of what you have done. So as we walk in your spirit this week, we pray that that would be to overflowing and that we would remember how good you have been and praise you for your sufficiency in our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you have done this work. As we remember the sacrifice of soldiers this weekend, we pray that first and foremost on our mind would be the sacrifice that Christ made and the redemption that He has provided that gives us security forever. We praise You and we love You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.